Well, good morning. thought I'd just get, kind of fill you in on where we're going the next short while in our teaching. Um, next week, we're going to jump back into Galatians, and we're going to be in Galatians 6. And we've probably got two, maybe three weeks left before we're done with the book of Galatians. And then after that, uh, we're going to jump into and, and start an amazing journey through the book of Acts, which I think is just going to be amazing. So you don't want to miss that. We're, gonna, we're just going to teach verse by verse through the book of Acts. I mean, it's a long book, so not every verse, but chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, and it's going to be phenomenal, so you don't want to miss that. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to jump into John 7 this week because um, I thought it might be a kind of a catalytic passage and message for this coming year. We're still just at the very beginning of 2018, and this passage for me personally has served as kind of a lighthouse passage that I come back to often and think about, not only because of of, of what it's meant to me personally, but also because of how I think it describes accurately uh, what the Christian life is what it means to believe in Christ, and how we are to live as new creatures in Christ. Um, as we just jump in, or at the very beginning of 2018, it's, it's, just, it's a good time for us to reflect on life. And one thing you realize when you think about life is life is serious, right? And I don't mean that bad. I just mean life is serious. It's not like skipping through... Uh, cornfields on a bright sunny day all the time. It's, it, there's serious parts of life. My oldest daughter, Serena, I didn't think she was going to be in here today, but she is. She's going to be 18 at the end of this month. And she said something in the last couple of weeks that I think all of us have felt before. She said, oh, I just wish I could go back and be seven years old again. And, and we, we all have thought, Oh my goodness, as we get older, physically, as we grow spiritually, life doesn't get less serious, it gets more serious, right? Responsibilities, challenges are more serious challenges than when we were 7 or 8 or 10 or 12 or, or even for me, 18. Sometimes I wish I could go back and be 18 again. Life is serious. For some here, 2017 was the most painful and challenging year of your life. For some here, 2018 may end up being that. And what you need more than anything else is mainly one thing, one thing that is pervasive in your life. It is one thing that you mainly need to get through this year, not just by the skin of your teeth, not just barely squeaking by, But to get through this year, as Romans 8 says, more than a conqueror, which doesn't mean it's easy, but more than a conqueror, nonetheless, what you need more than anything else is to see Jesus Christ as a fountain of inexhaustible water for you and to drink from him continually. You need to see Jesus as this never-ending fountain of living water and come to him constantly to, to drink. We all know what it's like to be thirsty. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night, uh, as I do sometimes, and just need a drink. Or at, you wake up in the morning after sleeping for eight hours and you need a drink. Or you, maybe you jog or you like to do high-intensity workouts and at the end you like to drink. You, you need a drink. 
Or if you are responsible for outdoor maintenance around your home, you know, mowing the lawn and stuff like that, on a hot July, humid day when your shirt and shorts look like you jumped into a pool, you need a drink. We all know what it's like to be physically thirsty. In these verses here in John 7, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says there is also a spiritual or a soul kind of thirst that we all have. If you grew up in the 90s, or at least were kind of aware in the 90s, you might remember the old Sprite marketing campaign, image is nothing, thirst is everything. You know how it goes after that? Obey your thirst, right? Obey your thirst. Well, the problem is we all have obeyed our thirst. That, that might be the most fundamental human problem is that humans have thirsts and they obey them and it leaves them more empty than before. It leaves them more thirsty than they were before. We have all experienced the words of Rolling, St- Rolling Stone's Mick Jagger when he says, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. We are all of us thirsty people. We have obeyed our thirst, giving us a short-term fix, but then it leaves us more thirsty than we were before. We have obeyed our thirsts rather than receiving God's free gift. And in a way, it's kind of like taking drugs. A heroin addict, after five years of being addicted to heroin, needs more in the fifth year than he did in the first year to get a buzz, right? He needed more, but it didn't, doesn't satisfy. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy the soul, but it was meant to arouse it. They, earthly pleasures are meant to arouse the soul, to suggest the real thing. Never meant to satisfy, meant to arouse and suggest or point to the real thing. Well, what's the real thing? What is, what is God's cure for the thirsty soul, which we all have? God's cure is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus and, it is Jesus himself. Only Christ can quench the, the aching, craving thirst of your soul. Only Jesus can. Remember, we sing this song. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no other fountain. There is none. You will look in vain for another one. It is Christ alone who can quench the deepest cravings and longings of our heart. An old Scottish preacher who's long dead from the 1700s, his name was Thomas Chalmers. And he, wrote, he preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he says, in, in vain we try to expel desires from our souls without replacing them with a more powerful one. And the more powerful desire that needs to be replaced in our soul is a deep, penetrating Desire for Christ. 
and then to come to him and drink. So in these verses, in John 7, 37 to 39, we see three things, at least. One, we see an amazing invitation from the Lord Jesus to have our thirst quenched. Number two, we see how we are to have the deepest thirst of our soul quenched. And then number three, we see the outcome of having this deep craving quenched in our souls. And then at the end, you know what we're doing today? We're celebrating Lord's Supper. So then the Lord's going to invite us around the table and he's going to feed us himself. So first, let's, let's, let's look at this together. First, we have this amazing invitation from the Lord Jesus to have our deepest thirst quenched, to be satisfied. Verse 37, Jesus, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. I love how David got louder. David has a loud voice, but he got louder. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. That's the invitation. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. Now, the timing of this invitation is very important for us to understand. It says at the very first part of 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Well, at the beginning of chapter 7 in John, we know that, that it was the Feast of Booze. This was one of the major feasts that the Jewish people were required to celebrate, where, where the, the people would come together to Jerusalem and families would live for a week in booths, these little temporary structures with a thatched roof. This was to remind them and to celebrate that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness where they lived in tents. So this, this is where they were at. This is what they were doing. And on the last day, on the eighth day, there was a water pouring ceremony where they would draw water from the pool of Siloam, take it into the temple and pour it around the altar. And this was to commemorate God miraculously providing water for the Israelites when Moses struck the rock. Remember Moses struck the rock at Horeb and water came gushing out. God miraculously provided, provided refreshing water for the people. And this, was to sell, this is what was going on on the last day, the great day of the feast. And it was at this time Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, at the, at the time when they're, they're probably doing this ceremony, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me. Now, notice the passion with which Jesus spoke. In verse 37, it says it was the, the great day of the feast, and it says he cried out. Now, no doubt he cried out with a loud voice in order to be heard. But more importantly, Jesus speaks with a longing desire that his invitation be heard and received. Whenever we gather together in the Lord's name and we open up his word and read his preaching or I'm preaching or somebody else is preaching, we, I pray and I hope, are speaking on the Lord's behalf and week after week after week, he wants his invitation to be heard and received and responded to. And so Jesus spoke with a loud voice, longing that people would hear his invitation, those with Thirsty souls. 
we sang this song during Christmas. I think it was the Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And there's, there's this part in the song. There's, there's a few Christmas songs that say something like, like this. Those with longing hearts will come to him. That kind of that sense. Jesus is speaking to thirsty souls and inviting them to come. And he wants them to. And what is the invitation? Well, hear the words again. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Don't come to church. Don't come to a Bible study. Don't even come mainly to the Bible. Come to me, Jesus says. Now, I think some of the most, some of the sweetest words in all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of the sweetest passages in all the gospels are the passages where Jesus says these words, come to me. Matthew eleven, twenty nine. If anyone, if anyone is worn out and labors and is weary, let him come to me and I will give him rest. Or when Jesus is sitting there and parents are bringing children to the Lord and, and, and the disciples say, he has, he has better stuff to do than, than hang out with the little kids. He's shooing them away. And Jesus says, no. What does he say? Let the children come to me. Jesus invites us to come to him. And these words come to me. The timing is so significant. Jesus is saying during this water pouring ceremony, Jesus is, I believe, saying what this activity, this ceremony points to is ultimately me. I was the rock rock in the wilderness that gushed forth waters to satisfy you physically. And it ultimately points to me and how I will satisfy you spiritually and eternally. Jesus is the one who gives waters to quench a deeper thirst forever. Remember the conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Jesus is tired from a journey. He's hanging out at this well. The Samaritan woman woman comes. She is drawing water out. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus says, I have water that if you drank of it, you would never thirst again. You would never be thirsty again. She's like, boy, I better get some of this water. Jesus says, come to me. This much is clear. Jesus has a great desire to satisfy your deepest thirst. And therefore, he invites you to come to him. After the invitation, we see how we are to have our thirst quenched. Of course, it's coming to Jesus, but, but then what? Well, Jesus says our souls can be quenched. This might sound really simple. Our souls can be quenched by believing in him, but not believing in the way you may ordinarily think. There's, there's more to it than, there's a way that we normally think of faith and believing, and Jesus wants to help us think at a deeper level of what faith is. Look at, the, look at how Jesus connects coming to him and drinking in verse 37 and believing in verse 38. 
He says on the, it says on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And then he says this, Whoever believes in me. So what does Jesus mean when he says, Come to me? He means believe. What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to believe in Jesus, or literally into Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to come to him and drink. I think we often miss this central idea of faith. Often we assume faith is almost exclusively affirming a set of facts in our brains and making a personal decision with our wills. When it's Jesus wants us to see it's something deeper than that as well. Right? Affirming facts and making a decision, asking Jesus into my heart or saying, I'm deciding today I'm going to follow Jesus. That is important. Knowing truth about Jesus is massively important. And deciding to follow Jesus is very important. But Jesus here says faith is something deeper than that too. Faith in Christ is coming to Christ to have the deepest thirst of your soul satisfied in him. Let me say it again. Faith in Christ is coming to Christ to have the deepest thirst of your soul satisfied by Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is seeing with the eyes of our hearts and enjoying Jesus as more valuable than anything else. Think about this. If a nomadic family, like from the third century or something, and they're in the middle, they're in the Gobi Desert, a nomadic family, husband, wife, some kids, they're making their way through the desert and they run out of water. That's a bad deal, huh? And all of a sudden, after a couple of days without water, they're desperate. They come upon an oasis. What do they do? Do the husband and wife have this dispassionate, stoic conversation? Gee, honey, that looks like an oasis. That looks like there's some water over there. What do you think we should do? I think that would quench our thirst. No. They would run toward the oasis and drink their fill passionately. Would they not? You guys with me here? They would... Run. Yes, water. There's water. Because they're thirsty. They're thirsty. They want water. Thirsty people want water, don't they? When we physically go without water for long enough, we are thirsty, sometimes at the brink. You were made to live on God. And if you go long enough without him, you will be thirsty and want him. So, faith is more than a stoic, dispassionate, analytical approach to facts. It is seeing Jesus as an oasis for my thirsty soul and running to him. And so part of my prayer today has been, God, make us thirsty. Help us not just be satisfied. Satisfied in him, of course. Help us just to not be satisfied with this world. 
The devil has an orthodox belief in who Jesus is. He does. But he doesn't run to Jesus to drink and be satisfied. Jesus, according to Colossians 2, is full in himself. He has fullness. And he is the source of every spiritual blessing, according to Ephesians 1.3. It all comes through Christ. It's all through him. There's no other fountain. There's no other source. It is Christ. So, come to him and believe. And how do we have this thirst quenched? We come to him and believe in him. As Savior? Yes, of course, as Savior. As Lord? Absolutely. But more. As a soul-satisfying Savior and Lord. Not fire insurance for when you die, but as a soul-satisfying Savior and Lord now and even massively more for all eternity. The invitation is, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, believing that I am the final source of his eternal satisfaction. That is the invitation today. That's the invitation. That's how you can receive it. Believing that Christ himself is the final destination, the source of your eternal satisfaction. Okay, so when we respond to this invitation and we come to Christ believing this about him, what's the outcome of having our thirst quenched? Verses 38 and 39. It says, Out of the heart will flow life-giving rivers of water. Literally, it, instead of out of the heart, it, it says literally out of the belly. I think the New American Standard Bible, I, I like the way it puts it because it gets the idea, I, I think, right in a way that we understand. It says, out of or from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the point. From the deepest part of your life, you respond to this invitation from Jesus. You come to him in faith, believing that he is the source of your eternal satisfaction. You, when you want to be satisfied and you come to Jesus, you found it in him. You come to him that way. It says, from the deepest part of your life, from the deepest part of your being, really, from the place you truly live your life, you actually live from there. From the deepest part of your being will flow rivers of living water. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all vigilance, for from it, your heart, flow the springs of life. So from that place, you believe in Christ, you come to him as a thirsty man, woman, child. You come to him thirsty, you will find him satisfying. And from that deep place that the springs of life flow, rivers of living water will come from there. What does this mean? Well, think of rivers of living water. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's not a trickle. It's not a little stream, right, that dries up late summer, kind of full, like maybe summer, early summer, late spring. 
It's rivers. It's powerful. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. And it's to be experienced. It is an experience now. Uh, Certainly just a foretaste now, but now. (laughs) And then consummated at the end of the age when Christ comes. I love it's the, the, the word living. The, the adjective living is, signifies eternal life. It is, in other words, it is to experience and live eternal life now. Verse 39 says, this is actually the life and energy of the Spirit. This is not Jesus saying these words. This is John giving... Commentary. He says, Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus spoke these words, the Holy Spirit had not come yet upon his disciples, right? This was something that was to come later when Jesus, after he died and rose again and was with his disciples for about 50 days and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, it says, after Jesus ascended, he received from the Father the Holy Spirit and then he poured out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Actually, I found it fast just thinking about this last night. Jesus talks about rivers of living water and the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 comes in another weather phenomena kind of way, rushing mighty wind. Just powerful, refreshing, God kind of life coming upon us and in us. The outcome of drinking and being satisfied in Christ is powerful, refreshing unending life through the indwelling spirit, starting now and going on into eternity. Now, Jesus is inviting us to come to him and drink and live like this. If the essence of life in Christ is finding Christ himself fully loaded and satisfying to our souls, then in my mind, this ought to be the main, our main pursuit in 2018 is to drink from Christ and be satisfied in him because it has massive implications that are far-reaching and, quite frankly, reach into every area of our lives. I, I want to I leave you with six. I want to leave you with six implications of believing this and pers- making this your pursuit for 2018, not just 2018, but at least this year, and then you wouldn't want to stop. Okay, number one, implication number one. This shows us what evil is and how we fight it in our lives. It shows us what sin and evil truly is and how we are to fight it in our lives. The essence of sin and evil is pursuing anything else to satisfy this soul thirst. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. This is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, well, I'll just read it, okay? 
Jeremiah 2.13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. Two evils they've committed. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They have turned away from me. And two, they have hewed out cisterns or dug cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can't even hold water. The two evils... One is that they turn away, they turn away from God. The second is that they thought, well, we're just going to build ourselves some cisterns, fill it with water, we'll drink from that. But they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. They're cracked cisterns with holes in them, and the water can't be held in it. Now, Jeremiah spoke this when Judah was deep in dark idolatry. Their sins against God were many and massive and myriad. And yet God says they've committed two evils. They've turned away from me and they have sought to build for themselves fountains or cisterns and they're broken and they can't hold water. Sin at its root is turning away from God to something else in order to fill what only God can fill. And it is a de- de- deadly danger because we, be nice Christi- we can be nice Christianly people showing up to church every Sunday and be doing this. Therefore, your fight against sin is to see the dry riverbed for what it is. There's no water there. And to seek to be satisfied fully and completely in Christ. That's your fight against that's that's your fight against sin. And we do have a fight against sin. Implication number 2. This changes the way we view repentance. This kind of goes with one, but it changes the way we view repentance. Rather than being crushing and something to be avoided, like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't come to, the, to, to terms with the fact that I've sinned and I, it's just too crushing to think about that. This is rather liberating and to be pursued. Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. Now, when I say that, some people think that sounds horrible because repentance is seen as groveling on the ground like taking three days of weeping and you can't do anything else. That sounds terrible. I'm not saying that we shouldn't weep when we sin. We, we should weep over our sin. But this is liberating because we are turning from something that held out a promise to us, but it was a lie. And we're turning to the truth, and we're coming to him in order to drink and be satisfied in him. That's repentance. I need Jesus. I need Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and his acceptance and his love and his joy and his peace and his fullness. And he has it all. And so I'm going to turn away from living under the oppression or living under the the illusion that this broken cistern can give me something that it can't.
Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says this. This is Peter preaching to a group of people. He says, repent and turn back in order that times of, excuse me, in order that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come to you in the presence of the Lord. Number three, it changes how we approach Bible reading and prayer and really all the spiritual disciplines. You know, as, as a pastor, I would love if everyone here immersed themselves more in the Bible this year than you did last year, maybe ever before. I would highly commend that. I would highly commend you embark on, especially adults, reading through the scriptures, this, the entire Bible this year. That would be fantastic. That'd be awesome. But Bible reading is not an end in itself. We should never do it just for the sake of doing it. We should never do it so we can check our box that to get through the Bible in 365 days, I had to read this today, so I checked it. We should never do it for that reason. And we should never pray for that reason either. We are to read the Bible, and we are to pray as a way of coming to Jesus in faith to draw waters from the wells of salvation. I'm to draw waters to, 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 to quench our aching thirst. We're to, we're to come to the scriptures that way. Jesus, in John chapter 5, rebuked the Pharisees for the way that they read the Bible. And we need to hear this. Here's what Jesus said, John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures diligently. That's a good thing. But he says, because you think in them there's life. Yet these point to me and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Our Bible reading ought to be a means by which under the, 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 with the help and under the superintendent of the spirit where we come to Jesus to hear his voice, to drink from the cup in his hand and be filled with him. Number four, it changes our perspective on corporate worship. Corporate worship, if if the goal for you and I individually is to pursue Christ, it's to see Jesus as this oasis of satisfying water that I'm going to come to and, and quench my thirst, then what is corporate worship except we're doing this together? We're doing it together. When we sing these songs, we are, we are approaching, we are coming to the Lord with our words and with our praise and with our adoration, with our singing. My aim in preaching and, and Reed's aim in preaching is to bring you into a greater delight in Christ. It is to help you see him as beautiful and precious beyond words. Now, I'm not saying I do that very well. That's my goal. And I want to do it better. The the goal of the worship team, Luke and Alyssa and Amanda and the rest, is to do that, is to draw us together into the presence of God, into enjoyment of him as we behold his face by faith and sing and praise his name. When more and more people are brought into the enjoyment of a soul-refreshing Savior, what happens? There is a cumulative effect. 
there is more and more and more enjoyment for each one of us to experience. I see the countenance on your face and I know that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory that you're rejoicing in. Number five, it changes our view of evangelism. Evangelism, if we, if, if what I've said today is true, and if this is how you want to approach this year and the rest of your life, then evangelism is not, it's not mainly trying to get people to buy into something that sounds like a downer. I know you probably don't, I know this probably sounds like a real bummer to you, but Jesus is Lord. And, you know, I mean, it's like, that sounds terrible. You know, no, it is, it is a, it is helping others to see the most valuable person in the world. It is, it is helping people to see, it is telling people with words and helping them to see how richly satisfying Jesus is. And you can't do that if you don't taste of it. We can't do that if Jesus isn't that to us. Think of the parable of the wedding banquet, right? Jesus tells this parable of this of this royal figure, this king who sends out his servants, go com- compel people to come in. We're going to have a feast. And he is dumbfounded that people turned it down. It's a feast. Or think of Matthew 13, 44, the man who was out in a field and he found a treasure. And for joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy the field that that treasure was in. What if... What if What if God exploded upon our hearts so that he became that most valuable treasure? We would want want to share that with others joyfully. And I say, God, help me in this. I'm going down to Bethel Mission tonight. I want to commend to them a treasure the most amazing person in the universe. I want to I commend the soul-satisfying Savior who is Jesus to them. And I want them to see him. Number six and final. This shows us that suffering and trials are not barriers, but can be a gateway to a deeper enjoyment of Christ. Suffering and trials are not a barrier to being satisfied in Christ. They can actually be a gateway to deeper satisfaction in Christ, deeper enjoyment of Christ. For some, last year was the hardest year of your life. I mean, just it was the hardest year. And yet, you are closer with Christ, enjoying deeper fellowship with him now than you were at the beginning of the year or maybe ever. Why is that? Terry Virgo, I heard him once say, God has a way of making his people thirsty. And oftentimes it is through great difficulty. God uses the challenges and difficulties and hardships of our lives to 
create thirst and to drive us to him. Psalm 63.1 is a, is a verse we love so much. Many love this verse so much. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My spirit or my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Do you know where David wrote that? Not in his music studio sipping a cup of coffee. In the wilderness. On the run for his life. Because his son was trying to kill him. (laughs) That's bad. But he doesn't end there. Here's what verse 2 says. So I have seen you. And looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God met him in the wilderness, scared and confused and probably bawling his eyes out because his son wanted him dead. God met him. So sometime the times that feel like wilderness wanderings can turn into an oasis of the presence and love of Christ. So are you thirsty? Jesus stands here among us today and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Silver Chair, There's this encounter between this girl named Jill and Aslan, who's the Christ figure. She's dying of thirst. And Aslan tells her to come and drink from his stream. And then there's this little dialogue between the two of them. It's really interesting. She says this. She asks this question. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? And Aslan said, I make no promise. Do you eat girls? She said, she asked. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Now, he didn't say this as if he were boasting, nor as if he were sorry, nor as if he were angry. He just said it. Then Jill said, well, I daren't come and drink. Then you will die, the lion said. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, the lion said. There's no other stream. We've all tried it. Maybe you would say last year was a year of running from one dry riverbed to another, looking for satisfaction, looking for joy. Jesus says, come to me. His invitation is come and drink and live. Let's pray.